0: Our series on the Lord's Prayer. And this Sunday, we're looking at the petition uh, for daily bread. <clears throat> so I'm going to read two passages one from the book of Deuteronomy, one from the book of Matthew. And then I've also got two catechism questions up here. We've been doing this, looking at different catechisms. Uh, One is from the Heidelberg Catechism, one is from the Anglican Church of North America's Catechism. So, I'm going to put that question up there, and if you feel comfortable, you can read the response uh, in the bold and underlined text. First, from Deuteronomy chapter 8. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but a man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these forty days. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. "...who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions, and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the wealth of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth." That he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God, and go after other gods, and serve them, and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. And This second passage is from Matthew chapter 6. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on And his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What does the fourth petition mean? Why does God give you daily bread? Let me pray. <clears throat> father, we thank you for your scriptures. God, we thank you that we read them together with your church. And God, I pray that as we are here today, I pray that our ears would be open, our hearts would be soft, that we would, in fact, be open to you speaking to us. Father, I pray that you would help the desires of our hearts to match the desires that you have for us. Would these scriptures work in this way on us? And would you help me to speak in that direction? Jesus, we love you and we thank you that you provide for your people. That you want good things and you give good things to us, Amen. This uh, this portion of the Lord's Prayer is, uh, in some ways, it feels like the first time in the Lord's Prayer that you are praying directly for yourself. Um, This is not the first thing that you ask in the Lord's Prayer. You've asked other things already. That you've acknowledged God as your Father that you ask that his name would be hallowed, that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done. And those things actually are for your good. Those things do have something to do with you and for you. And to not think so is a mistake, and it exposes things in our own hearts. However, when we are talking about praying for daily bread, this is probably the, the line that you're like, I don't need to be coached on this, Jesus. I'm I'm good here, because this is pretty much all I pray about. I'm always praying about God providing for me. And uh, it's, it's probably pretty clarifying and instructive for us that we notice that, that. That my own prayer life, unprompted, probably doesn't start with something like our Father in heaven, um, hallowed be your name, kingdom come, your will be done. I'm probably not leading on that. I'm probably leading with this petition, God provide for me my daily bread. If you're like me, you kind of run into that. And yet, it's also noteworthy that Jesus does tell you to ask for this. He he doesn't just uh, sort of slap you away and say, don't be selfish. Uh, he he says that you should pray this prayer. So this thing that you probably do, maybe your only real familiarity with prayer, might be just this sort of posture, God, please provide <laughs> For me, this is something that Jesus does want you to do. It's important that you do it. We understand this petition, like we just read in these catechisms, not to just mean I need food today, please provide it. It does mean that, but it extends to everything that we need. We know that as people, we need more than just physical sustenance. We have emotional needs. We have social needs. We have spiritual needs. And we have those day by day. And this request, God give us our daily bread, it's opening the door to asking for all of those things. Trusting that because Jesus told us to, it's a good thing to be praying. And it's a good thing to be asking for him. And you, I hope have different experiences with actually seeing God answer this prayer. Um, I, I know that in my own life, in in my own family, I've seen God answer this prayer in surprising ways. Um, I My wife and I, when we were much younger in our marriage, just much younger, period, we went to South Africa for a year with our eight-month-old daughter, our oldest daughter, Ryan, who was standing here this morning. Um, and when we were coming back, I felt like I was supposed to go to, uh, to seminary. I was ready to start. We knew we were probably coming here, and I would probably drive to Charlotte for, for seminary. And we went to spend time with her family in Michigan right after we got back. And we were helping with her sister's wedding. And we were getting ready to leave the next day and we did not know where we were going. <laughs> we, had, uh, we had some friends that said, you could stay with us for like a week. And uh, we didn't know at all how we're we gonna pay bills, what bills there would even be to, to pay because we didn't know if we we're gonna live outside or what. And uh, her, her grandparents came to us the day before we left and said, we've supported you as you went to Cape Town. We want to continue that support um, so that you can continue in your studies and and go to seminary. And we realized that they were the first of several people that would say the same thing to us so that I would be able to work full-time on my seminary degree. My wife would work at Take-A-Hike in Black Mountain, and we would be fine. We got into town, and somehow our name got given to Adam Boyd, who owns and operates Merrimack and Timberlake. And he said, you know, you can live in one of our camp houses at a very cheap rate during the school year for nine months of the year. So we have a place to live. And within a couple of weeks, boom, 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 all these things just fell into place in a way that we had no ability to plan. No, no, no real clarity on how this was all going to fall into place. And God took care of us. I have no delusions about my own abilities uh, to understand that that could have happened apart from God taking care of us. But that's not normally how my life goes. I I don't ordinarily live my life saying uh, my financial plan is to sit here and wait for somebody to walk up and provide the answers for all of my needs and worries. I don't. And yet, and yet Jesus, in some sense, asks us to pray this way. He doesn't, he doesn't say you should work this way. I'm, I, I think getting a job and savings and, and financial planning, that's all good. Those are good things. And Jesus is not saying don't do that. But he is asking us to live in the reality of this petition that you actually do live in need of God's provision all the time. And in these scriptures that we're reading, we actually have two different pathways that that wealth can cloud our relationship to this petition. The the first is in Deuteronomy chapter 8. The book of Deuteronomy is is the nation of Israel about to enter into the promised land. And they are basically over and over and over the whole book being told, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget what I have done for you. You're going to forget Don't forget. It's going to be really bad for you if you forget. And here in this specific chapter, God is telling the people of Israel, don't forget how the whole way through the wilderness, I provide food, I took care of your clothing, because you're going to get into the promised land. And you're going to get lots of stuff. He says God is going to make you able to accumulate wealth. And and when you accumulate that wealth, you will forget. And you will delude yourself and you will think all of the comfort, all of the riches, all these things are here because I earned them and I have provided for myself. And you will forget that this God is the God of Israel who's actually the one who carried you through and he's the one who's provided this blessing for you to be able to accumulate this wealth. One of the dangers of wealth that we especially need to pay attention to in the place and time in which we live is that it is delusional. It will make you and I very easily and naturally believe that I am the master of my own destiny. I am the one who has provided for myself. I am the one who's identified the needs that I have and I have done it. and I don't really think about praying for my daily bread because I provide my daily bread. That's the real challenge, one of the real challenges of the Lord's Prayer for people like us where we live, where we can walk into places full of food and for many of us, you have a budget and you have to buy buy smartly and some of us, we can buy whatever it is we want or somewhere in between but basically we believe that this whole building full of food is open for my choosing and I will provide for myself. And if I cannot have what it is that I need, then I need to take it upon myself to fix this problem. It is our natural disposition towards ourselves. It is our disposition towards other people. It It is our inclination, our disposition, culturally, to look at people standing on the side of the road. And to assume that is because they did not provide for themselves knowing nothing about them or what has happened to them. We just assume they don't have because they have not provided for themselves. Because wealth is delusional. It insulates us. It insulates us from, from our own size. It insulates us from the vagaries of this world. And it causes us to believe that fundamentally, I am the answer to my own prayer. I give me my daily bread. And God warns the people of Israel that this is incredibly dangerous. It is, it is going to destroy them. And it will destroy you. This delusion that you do not rely upon God for everything that you have is, is a delusion that, that will wreck you. The, the sad thing is that it's, it's probably tempting to read that and say, does that mean I'm going to lose all my stuff? That God's gonna punish me and take away all my stuff. And that's not the worst thing that can happen to you. The worst thing that can happen to you is you keep all your stuff and you forget them. And that will kill you. Now, this is not the only thing that can happen to you with wealth. You can you can have amnesia generated by the comfort of your own wealth, the accumulation of your own bread. But you can also be paralyzed by obsession. Now, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he tells his people to not be anxious. To, to in fact, trust that God does provide for his people. That you can look in the natural world and you can see all of these things. Plants in the field, birds in the trees... And he's saying, not look how awesome they are, but he's saying, look how, in essence, cheap and and disposable they are. And God still provides for them. He He values you more. And won't you trust him to provide for you as well? There is something happens, though, when you have much. The power of greed is such that it provokes not necessarily contentment, but anxiety. Jonathan Pennington, in writing about this Sermon on the Mount, in this section, he says, The double-souled nature of greed is that you will lose the single focus on God who provides. And in that double, that twinning of your soul, the focus on God and, you will perpetually be a person of craving." Greed does not have a level at which once you acquire, then you say, this is enough. A heart of greed reaches the level you previously had ambitions towards. You arrive there and say, but just a little more. And that becomes the obsession of your soul, the focus, the gaze of your mind. And so you become the kind of person that Jesus warns you against. You become an anxious person. We usually only read this in the sense of somebody who does not have. And it applies there as well. But the person who has nothing and is anxious for what they do not have... ...and the person who has much and is anxious for what they do not have... ...they are not fundamentally too different... It looks different on the outside, it manifests differently, but the problem presents in similar ways. If your focus is on your stuff, if your obsession is on your things, then you will be driven and plagued by anxiety for more. And people in this country, a place of profound wealth, vastly more than any other place and any other time in history, we are a profoundly anxious people. More anxious, it seems, than anybody ever. How did that happen? Because we have focused on our stuff. And again, Jesus is specifically using the example of food and clothing. But you know what animates the cravings of your own soul. It it can be for all kinds of things that you lack and do not have. The approval of other people. The position you want promotion to. It can be for the the spouse that you do not have. The child that you do not have. All of these things, good. Jesus is not saying don't want good things. It's not what he's saying. He's saying that your father has good for you. And will you trust him to look after you? Will you trust him in the lack that you experience? Will you trust him with all of your desires for the best things in life? Will you trust him with all of the things in your life that are petty and passing away? Will you trust him with all of those things so that he, you will see and experience that he does good to you? The reality is that the feeling of lack, that the feeling of not having enough, of not getting whatever we need materially or spiritually or emotionally is a persistent part of the human experience. The longing to have all of that suffering relieved is going to be unfulfilled. I I have definitely caught myself praying to God, God, Please don't let anything bad happen to me. <laughs> ever. And that I I feel fine saying that to God. That is my preference. That nothing bad ever happens to me. Also, not just me, but my wife and also my kids. But that's it. You know, do whatever you want with anybody else. But just me and those five other people, and when they get married and have kids, they're also them. So me. And, well, parents, my parents, and my siblings, and their spouses, and their children. That is the... Nothing bad, just nothing bad happened to me. That's all I want. Then you can do whatever you want with everybody else. I don't want anything bad to happen to me. I don't want to feel the lack. I don't want that. I don't want to feel what it means to pray, give us today our daily bread and to wonder where the daily bread is going to come from. And you probably, there's probably plenty of people in this room who can immediately think of the things that you, you believe wholeheartedly that you need and God has not provided. In the moment, in a long-running sense, and I was listening to someone speak about growing in Jesus, uh, John Mark Comer, he was saying, you know, I've never gotten been with a saint who's followed Jesus for a long time. And they looked at me and said, you know when God grew me the most? When I was totally comfortable and happy, happy and everything was fine. All of them say, in the sorrow of my life, Jesus came and met me. In a way that I could not have hoped for or described any other way. Which doesn't legitimize or make good any of the hard things. Instead, it shows that suffering is clarifying. And Jesus will answer this prayer, even if you didn't even know the way that you ought to pray it. Because here's the thing about this prayer it gets up underneath your expectations. It turns loose God in your life because it allows God to define the terms. You tell me what I need. You tell me what daily bread is. You tell me How I will be provided for today. Just today. Not even tomorrow. But if you just get me through today. With what I need. And I will look for how you will provide for me. And Jesus pledges fulfillment of this prayer. I don't know. How it looks like in your life. Sometimes it might look like people dropping into your life and providing unexpected gifts. And sometimes it might look like long periods of time of asking and asking and asking and longing and longing. And that is the mystery of prayer that you and I don't know best, but God does. And ultimately, this language that Jesus uses is not a mistake. He, he is not just Jesus on the mountain. He is the God who is speaking to the people of Israel on the edge of the promised land. And he tells his people then, I am the one who sent you the manna, and I will yet feed you. And it is the same God who will look at his people in John chapter 6 and say, I am bread of life I will not withhold from you what you need you have to come feast on me you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood because I am the bread of life and no good thing will be withheld from you 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 may not understand how this fulfillment or lack thereof squares ...with this prayer. You are meant though to look at that experience... ...through the lens of Jesus. Jesus is not just putting this into your lap... ...for you to shoot up into the sky... ...wistfully a few times a day... ...or as many times as it troubles you... ...throughout your life. You are meant to pray this prayer... ...in honest giving of yourself before God... ...but understanding... ...that Jesus is the bread of life... And he will not withhold daily bread from you because he will not withhold himself from you. This is why the church across many different traditions in their liturgy prays this prayer right before you come to this table. Because you are meant to see and to hear that God will answer this prayer in Jesus. Jesus offers himself to you. At the expense of his own suffering, his life and death. Because that is the degree to which he loves you. He will not abandon you to all of your loss. He will not abandon you to hunger and to thirst, to not being married like you wish, to not having as many children as you wish, to not having the vocation that you wish, or any other kind of need that you could list for him. He will not abandon you to those things because in the very worst things that you will face, Jesus gave himself to you and for you that you would feast on his own life. And he will carry you through all the way until the end. All the way. Until you see him face to face. And all the sense that can be made will be made of your own suffering. And every lack and hunger will be fulfilled. And every tear that you cry will be wiped away. Because he is the bread of life. Today, you are meant to see him day by day by day, and to be grateful. Gratitude is the great antidote to this forgetfulness and to this fear. And if you have a hard time being grateful about this or that about your life, you are meant to look to Jesus and to be reminded that you have much to be grateful for. A super abundance, an infinitude of love and kindness to be grateful for in Jesus. If you are here today and you recognize that you have been deluded into obsessing over the things that you do not have or in forgetting your deep need from God, Jesus is here to break that spell with you. To open your eyes to the truth of your own self before him. And to see that he will be good to you and has been good to you. And will continue to be good. Today, if you are being reminded of that, turn to him. Turn again and see the beauty and the glory of his person, his love for you. And if you are here today and your life is dominated by your appetites. It is dominated by your lust for what you do not have. You are meant to be freed in Jesus. You are meant to come under his daily care, that he would provide for you, he would provide shelter and sustenance for you, he would provide those things at the cost and expense of his own life because of his love for you, and if your trust has been in anything besides him, if your love, if your loyalty, if your affection has been for anything beside and above him, today you are called to do the very simple thing that we call repent. You're supposed to leave those things behind and come home to him. He always knew that's what you needed. Even when you forgot him, he told you ahead of time that you would. And he still pledges his love to you. Because that's how much he has for you. So if today you are realizing your delusion, your obsession... Leave aside those things. Turn and respond to Jesus. Say the thing that Christians have said for 2,000 years. I am so sorry. I have blown it again. And he will provide for you exactly what you need. Because that is who he is. He is the bread of life. Find your place at his table. Let me pray for us. Jesus. We thank you for your loving kindness towards us. We thank you, God, that you have given everything that we need. We confess to you that we have we have prioritized comfort. We have prioritized things, honor, status. We have prioritized relationships. We have prioritized so many things above you. The simple request, provide for us our daily bread, is foreign to us. And the depths that it means. And we are sorry. Even our needs, God, we bring them to you focused on the thing more than you. I I thank you for your grace and your kindness. Thank you for your patience with us. Jesus, I pray for those who, who feel far off, who feel forgotten. I pray that you would make clear to them by your spirit that they are not forgotten and they are not so very far away. Father, I pray for those of us who who have leaned on our own self-sufficiency. Would you tell us the truth about ourselves so that we would lean on you? And Jesus, I pray that all of us might gather around your table regularly to be reminded of your covenantal love. We break our end of the deal, and you are forever faithful. Thank you that we have so much in you, Jesus. We love you, and we ask that you would help us to love you even more. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.